the gospel. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the gospel. Easy, simple, essential. What is the gospel? If I was going to ask you today, what is the gospel? I'd probably get a lot of different answers. But the gospel is multifaceted. There's many ways you can speak about the gospel. But for the next four weeks, we're going to look at the gospel from four different ways. Today, we're going to talk about the gospel according to, Mo to Noah. That Jesus is our Savior. That out of despair comes hope. That's one way to look at the gospel. Really, Noah didn't really have his own gospel, but it leads to the gospel. The gospel according to Moses that Jesus is our deliverer. He takes us from bondage to freedom. It's another way to look at the gospel. Then we're going to look at the gospel according to David, that Jesus is our ruler, that he comes to take from chaos to give us peace. And lastly, Easter Sunday, we'll talk about the gospel according to Jesus, which is really what it's all about. And it will be from life to death. Different ways to say the th same thing. The gospel. What is the gospel? First of all, gospel is good news. The word gospel means good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ that he came to save us from our sin. That's the gospel. And not only did he save us from our sin, but it's the good news about Jesus Christ who came to save us from our sin so we can live new lives. So that we can live new lives. That's the gospel. It never goes, gets old. It's for everyone. It's for sinners as well as saints. It's for Mormons. It's for Muslims. It's for people who've done horrible crimes and people who think they're perfect. It's, the gospel is for every ethnic group, Republicans, then Democrats, although sometimes they wonder about each other. It's about those who do the right things and those who do the wrong things. The gospel is for everyone, not just for us. You never outgrow it. You always need it. You are to proclaim it. You are to believe it. You are to live it. The gospel. It means good news that through the Jesus life, death and resurrection, that some thought how all that things can be made new, that what Jesus had done, that we can be made right before God. Us can be made right before God. The Apostle Paul says it this way. God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Second Corinthians 521. One of the earliest stories in the Bible foreshadows the gospel of Jesus. I'm calling it loosely the gospel of Noah because it points to Jesus. The gospel, according to Noah, is a gospel that gives us hope and saves us from despair. Noah, you know the story? Guy who built a boat in the backyard. And a big flood came and everybody else died but Noah and the boat and all the animals. Did anybody ever have a little Noah's Ark when you were a kid and put all the little animals in? They're so cute. Actually, the story isn't very cute at all. It's kind of cataclysmic. 
A few years ago, uh, you know, there's always these stories that they found Noah's Ark. Out in the hills of Turkey somewhere, they found Noah's Ark. Remember those? Some of you, they, they, yeah, they're, they're still there, but actually, um, it's actually been found. And um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's not too far away from actually here. It's been found. It's in, uh, yeah, there it is, Titlow Beach. <laughs> you might not have, have, you probably haven't gone there recently. That's why you haven't seen it, right? Actually, this is an exact replica. Somebody from Holland decided to build this, and they were going to first sell it to, to like England, and then I, I saw a post that they were going to try to sell it to the United States. Haven't heard anything yet. That's been quite a while. But there's been many, many uh, replicas, but nobody's actually been able to give positive proof that it exists, but it doesn't matter, right? The gospel according to Noah gives us hope and saves us from despair. It's both a warning. It's a it's an all-time warning for all of us for, forever, and it's an encouragement too, the story of Noah. And it's set in very distressing times. We can look at our world around us, and we can see that it's, very, very, it's changing all the time, right? Some of this, this last week is, man, what's happening? Everything's changing, and, 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 and you can feel very distressed about it. Anybody get distressed this last week? Come on. You were distressed. And others of you, nothing phases me. The world could go to hell and I'm fine. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Distressed. I uh, made a mistake this last week, just one. I decided to post on Facebook an article from a Christian magazine about one of our political candidates. Big mistake. It, it called into question a person's character. It was all about character. And it was going pretty good. Most of the people that weighed in on it disagreed. Uh, but then it started getting between two of the people online, not me. They were kind of going at each other, and I deleted it from Facebook. I said, I do not want to perpetuate the distress or the frustration or the anger that's so much out there. But it apparently is out there. We pro we, we, there's a whole lot of people that are really upset. They're very distressed about what's going on in this world or in our world. But really, what lots of us happens, we, 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 we hear the news, we see it, and we, and we go, oh, that's so bad, and then kind of shrug and go off in our way, right? And we kind of go back into our own world, unless it affects us directly right now. We kind of go back to our, uh, you know, our eating and our drinking and our shopping and our going around what we normally do. It's interesting that Jesus, in his last week here on this earth, mentioned Noah. He talked about, he says, I've, I've come once, now I'm going to come again. And listen to what he says about Noah and what it's like. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Boom, boom, boom. Ominous. People are just preoccupied with their own life. Things haven't changed a lot, have they? People are very preoccupied. They're either distressed or distracted, one of the two, and, and uh, maybe they're kind of in the fight or flight thing all about all the distress in this world. But at the time that Noah was born, he lived like, what, 900-some years, and uh, the time he actually, by the time he built the ark, he was like 500. So he had lived a while. And his, his father, Lamech, named him Noah. 
And Noah means relief or comfort. Yeah. But notice a little bit of anxious or mm, I don't know, anxiety behind his father's naming of his son. Listen, it says, Lamech named his son Noah, for he said, May he bring us relief from our work in the painful labor of our farming, this ground that the Lord has cursed. He's having a I'm not a big fan of God day. That's how I see Lamech. Did you ever have a I, I'm not a big fan of God day? Because he's kind of like, maybe someone will bring us some relief from this land that God has cursed. Of course, they don't realize why he cursed it. Maybe they want to neglect it. They don't want to admit it. Lamech doesn't say it's our fault. Someone to bring us relief. Well, God did do it, but not in the way that probably Lamech wanted it to be. So listen to this story, and let's revisit the story. Some of you knew it from, your, from a little child. The story, or I'm calling it the Gospel of Noah, see what it says to us about the distressing times that we live in. My first observation is that people grieved God. People of Noah's time grieved God. I wonder if God's grieved today. Here it is in Genesis chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Now Noah saw, or God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on the earth was corrupt. The first thing we see is that God saw the wickedness. When you and I might throw our hands up in the air and go, oh, man, all the bad stuff in this earth. Why doesn't God do something? It says here four times God either saw or observed. He saw and he observed what was going on. It wasn't out of his radar. Did you ever think, God, do you see what's going on in this world? Are you seeing what's going on in my world? Where are you, God? God was troubled because People were doing whatever they felt like and shutting the door on God. What happens when people do whatever they want? I think of it's like a room of preschoolers. You give them all the candy they can handle and finger paints, and you close the door. <laughs> what ensues in the preschool room? A lot of grief when you open that door, right? It was if the people at that time had shut the door on God and said, we are going to do what we want. We're going to live, and, and, and it became a mess. We do not want God in our life. And what happened, what ensued? Violence. God said, just the whole world was consumed by this violence. Think of Rwanda back in the horrible genocide in 1994 when 500 to a million people were killed. Think today when about 250 people have been killed and what's five and a half, four and a half million people are refugees in, in our Middle East crisis, think of ISIS. Think of when you think about, it, think of the whole world like that. That's how God observed and saw this world. Do you ever ask God, "Can you see this? Can you see what's going on? Why don't you do something about this evil in the world?" Now let's stop. Let's eliminate all of the terrorists in the world. How many would be in for that? Let's get rid of them. We'll stop them. 
tired of this evil in this world. Let's, let's get rid of all of the people who abuse children. Let's, let's take care of all the people in the world that do any kind of wicked, anybody who lies. I'm so tired of these people not telling me the truth. Let's get rid of all the liars. Let's get rid of the cheaters. Boy, they're cheaters all the time. You hear about people cheating. Let's get rid of them. Let's, let's, let's get rid of all the immoral people, the people that do the reprehensible things that like, oh, let's get rid of them. The question is, when you say that, or I've said that, why don't you get rid of all the evil in the world? Where do you draw the line? Where do you stop? Are you the one? Am I the one to draw the line and say, okay, God, I'll tell you what. Not all of the evil, because, you know, sometimes, it, but all of these evil things. <laughs> and I don't want to look at myself. Maybe Lamech didn't want to either. The ground that you had cursed. If I think if we really got our wish, we wouldn't want it. Because in God's eyes, it says we've all sinned. If God was going to answer my prayer and said, Lord, would you get rid of all the evil in the world? Guess what? We're all toast. <laughs> well, I'm not so bad. Not compared to a murderer. Well, that's because that's the way we look at it. God doesn't look at it that way. We look at what I think is what we do is we come up with our standard and impose it on God. And he should perform the way we think. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. I have my standard, and now you need to conform the way I think. You need to see it my way. Well, God did. He did do what he was going to do. And I think he's still doing it today. It grieves God when he sees sin, but he never ignores it. He never goes, oh, it doesn't matter. In this story, he acts in both judgment and salvation. The second observation is there was one man, Noah, that pleased God. Verse 8 out of chapter 6, but Noah found favor with the Lord. One guy. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person on earth living at the time. He walked in close fellowship with God. God saw Noah. Wonder what he looks when he sees this world or sees us. In Psalm 14, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on mankind to see if there's anyone who understands anyone seek God. But no, all have turned away and all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. What did God see in Noah? It said he was blameless. We recently talked about this word perfect. And we all in, in the worship team, they said none of us are perfect. And when the Bible says we're to be perfect, like Jesus says we're to be perfect, he wasn't saying that we would be without flaws. Because Noah later on, I mean, he wasn't perfect. He planted a vineyard and got drunk. So that wasn't a good picture. Perfect means doing what you're designed to do. It means to mature, to grow, to be what God had chosen you to do. God chose each one of us to be in fellowship with him, to know him and to love him. And there was Noah was looking to God. In spite of all the wickedness, he held on to his integrity. He walked with God, some versions say. The third observation is God brings judgment. Actually, he brings judgment and salvation at the same time. Jesus will come back again. And when we want him to come back again, he does bring both judgment and salvation at the same time. They're tied together if you look at scripture. 
says in Genesis 6, 13 and 17, just those few verses, God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all these living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood and destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. Does that seem harsh? Seem troublesome? How can God do this? Everything? Only one guy you're going to spare? This doesn't seem like a very good gospel. And this is what's hard for us humans to see the full extent of the devastation of what sin does. I think it's a demonstration to show us how horrible God saw sin. The good news, though, is that things will change. But first, something has to be eliminated, something destroyed. This is a picture of what all sin deserves. Up till this point, doesn't feel like very good news. Number four, I observed that God prepares for salvation. Even in the middle of destruction, God is still preparing for salvation to come through one man. One man who is perfectly fitted for what God wanted him to become. He told them, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. And I'm going to con confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your children and your wives. And Noah did everything as God commanded him. And then the judgment comes. The whole earth at that, no that time is flooded. Said that the waters rose to about 22 feet above all of the mountains of this earth. And every living thing except those in the ark perished. The ark was a picture of salvation that and pointing to Jesus, Jesus saves. Something about that ark was something to teach us about how salvation works. It was totally by God's grace. Did God hate all the people he destroyed? No, God loves them. God, we all know God loves everyone. But he will give people their own way if they choose it. If they shut the door and say, we're going to act like preschoolers, he'll let us do that. The point is not that God destroyed everything. The point is he was gracious enough to spare one family and bring hope to us. Peter says that Noah did try to convince people to get into the ark. Never heard that before in the Old Testament, but listen to this. And God didn't spare the ancient world except for Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned of God's righteous judgment. Did he say get in the boat or, hey, you need to turn? It, maybe God will change his mind as he often did in the Bible when people will repent. They didn't. So God protected Noah when he, was, when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood, 2 Peter 2.5. Then when it was all finished, God said, I want you to leave the boat. I'm going to confirm my promise to you that I'm saving this world. One of the pictures that after Noah got out of the boat that gives us a picture of hope is that he released a dove three times. The first time the dove flew out the whole earth and it came back. The second time it flew out, flew around the earth and came back with an olive branch. That's often used as a symbol of peace. And the last time it didn't come back again. It was as if God was saying through this picture of this dove, there is hope. 
And then in this sign of hope, anybody ever see a rainbow before? Duh, yeah. yeah. For God's perspective, it's not just, oh, pretty. From God's perspective, it's a symbol of hope for this world. Listen to it. Genesis 9, 12 through 16. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature. With you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've sent my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of the earth. Even though wickedness may still increase as it has, I will never destroy the whole earth again by a flood. A picture of hope. Remember one time being very discouraged, and it was a cloudy day, and I was driving from Olympia to Tacoma, and I was kind of feeling sorry for myself. None of you have ever done that. And I was just like, oh, life's not going the way I want. <clears throat> Come over a hill, and a beautiful rainbow. And immediately my spirits are elevated. Immediately it lifts, and I'm going, I was, I'm looking in the wrong place. I'm looking down here. I need to look up there. And this beautiful rainbow, came, it was a great reflection of God's hope for my life. He's called it a covenant. A covenant. It's an unconditional promise. It, there was nothing Noah needed to do to have this covenant happen. In the same way, Jesus is God's unconditional love for us. He gives us a new covenant in, in his blood, not in our, our uh, efforts. What does this have to do with us today? I'd like to leave you with three things. Hope begins when I'm honest about my sin. Hope begins when I'm honest about my sin. The question is, do I need to just confess once my sin to Jesus way back when and I invited him to my life? Or do I need to, to continue have God unpack the things out of my life. You know, one of the worst things that can happen to anybody is when we see the horrible things in the world and we decide to become the judge of this world and the sin there. And what we've done is we put ourselves in a dangerous place, in the place of God. That I have to watch when I get offended by the things of this world that I don't like. That I let the distress of this world lead me maybe even to despair, I have to confess that before God. Lord, I have been judgmental about other people. I thought I was so good. Or maybe some of us have gone down to a dark place. You know, either in your mind, you've gone to a dark place. Hope begins when you come clean. And you, you let it out. And you confess it before God. John says this, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. He's willing to cleanse us from all wickedness, excuse me. All wickedness, wicked. Another way to look at wicked is, is, is um, broken. The word actually means, um, it can mean that something is spoiled by being broken. So if you have a, a, a beautiful dish at home and you drop it on the ground, you can try to repair it. I've tried. It doesn't work well. You break something on the ground, try to glue it back together. Maybe a parent won't notice. 
or you've had a favorite um, electronics, your iPad or your, your iPhone or your computer, you've dropped them and they, they break, and you know that they're no longer good for the intended purpose for which they made it. Bummer. Broken is another way to look at wicked. You think of everybody else as wicked, but in some ways we're all broken. We all have to come clean before God and say, I am not fulfilling the, prompt, the purpose for what you, you have for me. The thing is, God doesn't hate sinners. He never judges out of hate, I believe. He judges sin. Sin grieves him. That's what the Gospel of Noah tells us. But when we admit it, it leads to the second point. He clenches us from all sin. Hope comes when God saves us. I am not a self-help project. I will never be all I wish I could be. I really would like to do that. Did you ever do that to yourself? I'm going I'm to improve in that. Nothing wrong with it. But at the core, I have something I need God to heal within my life. Because in all of us, there's a brokenness that continues to resurge. That God wants to bring healing. Let me just speak to you real simply. Sometimes you think you're the only one. I'm the only one that feels this way. No one knows what's going on in my heart. Everybody else is normal. But for me, I've got wrestling with these things. God doesn't see that. And I know he's ticked at me. God sees our sin. And he's not alarmed. He doesn't go, oh, it offends me. I'm so, you know, it does, it's not like that. God looks and he's grieved. And he looks at you and he sees so much more potential. He reaches into the very dark forces, places of our life and he goes and he gives us hope because he wants to save us. He wants to bring us out of that dark place. And all of us have had tendency sometimes to go there because things have happened to you or people have labeled you or, or the world has looked at you a certain way or you think this is where you need to go and you have a tendency you can go to that dark place but God says you do not have to go there. Whether it's sin imposed from other people or sin that you do yourself, God wants to save you. Hope comes when God saves us. Why doesn't God eliminate and destroy everybody now? Peter again the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's patient with you for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. But he wants all to repent. Jesus, like Noah, was the one man, except he was the only perfect man, who could come and take our sin and our load and our darkness of this world. He came to be our Savior. What happened to the death we deserve? What happened to the judgment that was happened at Noah's time? The judgment was put on Jesus himself, and he bore the sin of all of our griefs and all of our sorrows and all of our fears and all of our darkness. Isaiah said it this way, we are all like sheep, and we've all gone astray. We're all preschoolers. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Disturb, don't despair. Jesus is like the ark where you can go to and find salvation. Perhaps you didn't resonate with some of the things that I've spoken so far. Here's the last thing I'd like to encourage you. The gospel never gets old. The gospel is never something that just happens way back there. Or we celebrate when we sing uh, at communion time. 
The gospel is always fresh, always new, always relevant. It's an everyday thing. Hope continues when people still seek God. We still need the gospel. What do we really observe about Noah? He was not a perfect person, but he was in relationship with God. He was in fellowship, or the Bible says he walked with God. It wasn't his own goodness that made him good. It was because he, he lived and breathed in an atmosphere of a good God who loved him, and that goodness was given to him. So he couldn't brag. He walked in relationship with him. When you walk closely with someone, you keep pace with them. You, you can hear their breath. You, you're right alongside of them, and you can sense them. The truth is, the more the world seems distressing, the more I have to look to God. There is no reason for me to despair or get discouraged. God said through Moses, you will search again for the Lord your God. This is Moses. I'm getting it right here. You search for Moses, the Lord your God, and if you search for him all your heart, you will find him. You will find him. It's one thing to know about God or even to know God. I have a relationship with God. I know people that don't really love Jesus. They say, I have a relationship with God. I said, great. How, what is it like? Is it good? Is it a good relationship with God? What I'd like to put before you is that God wants to make his relationship with you as real and tangible and powerful as your closest friend. That he is real and close as the person that you're sitting next to, that you can walk in fellowship with God. How do you keep a sense of hope? Let me give you three things to give you a sense of hope. One, number one, walk in close relationship with God. Number two, walk in close relationship with God. Number three, walk in close relationship with God. The more you walk in close relationship with God, more hope continues to emerge out of your life. The gospel has done its work in us when we desire God more than anything else, more than pleasure, more than family, more than romance, more than career, more than my position, more than whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. When I love God and desire for more from anything else, nothing can, I'm bulletproof. Hope, it, I put my hope in him. This gospel of Noah is the one that saves us from despair because Christ is our hope. If you're feeling down about the world or yourself, maybe a little hopelessness has crept in. The antidote, the gospel. The gospel. The gospel, the good news that Jesus brings hope. My last scripture, Paul says this in Ephesians 2. You used to live in this world without God and without hope. You used to live that way. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. You once were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. The truth is you don't believe the gospel once and move on. You live the gospel. You breathe the gospel. You depend on his, depend on his mercy every day. God is always working. He's always doing something good and fresh in you. For those who trust him, he continues the saving work of Jesus. That is the gospel. Would you stand with me? The gospel.
It's what we build our lives on. It's what I live day by day. When things start to take me out, I go back to the gospel. The simple, easy, essential, important element that Jesus saves sinners and he saves you and he saves me. Would you bow your heads right now? This is a time between you and God. And the truth is, have you allowed yourself to get distressed? And you've forgotten the gospel, that Jesus has called you out of this world, that we don't have to be caught up in the gunk and the junk of this world. We do not have to let it take us down, cause us to act inappropriately, because the gospel is still that freeing power from all of the things that are wrong in this world and wrong in me. The gospel is so simple. If you would say, God, I need to, I need to come clean with God. I need to confess with him. I need him to save me. I need him to reinstate hope within me. I need to walk in this near and dear relationship with God. I really know a lot about God, but I don't know him like that close. Can I really know him like that close? Sure can. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't look at one and say, oh, you're not good enough. He allows all to come before him. So with your heads bowed right now, no one looking around, and you just say, you know what? I need to re-up my relationship with Jesus, and you just want me to include you in a prayer. Just put your hand up real fast and real back down. I need to re-up my relationship with God. I need to re-up the gospel still changes me. So with those six or seven people that raise eight people that raise their hand, would you just repeat a prayer that we in faith are affirming again the transformational power of the gospel as we say this prayer? Would you say this with me? Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus, the hope of the world, that you came and looked at my state when I was broken and I was apart from you. And you forgave my sin. And you promised to give me new life that will last forever. And I can walk in fellowship with you. I can walk in a real and close loving relationship with my Heavenly Father. Thank you, God. I'm saved by the gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen.